0: Welcome to the Earth Kingdom Prairie Home Companion, a bi-weekly podcast where two nerds and a newbie watch Avatar the Last Airbender and provide all of their thoughts, feelings, and opinions. I'm Kelly. I'm Mike. And I'm JJ. To recap, previously on Avatar the Last Airbender, as Aang, Katara, and Sokka continue to wend their way toward the North Pole, they meet a fortune-teller, a familiar face, and a boy with the spirit of an airbender. Aang briefly finds a firebending master willing to teach him, but soon learns that mastering the element of fire is more dangerous than he'd believed, and as always, the Fire Nation is only one step behind them. Awesome. That's a really great summary. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) I wrote it this week, so. (laughs) Awesome. I remembered at the last minute uh, that I needed to do that. So this is our season one finale episode. We're going to do the three remaining episodes today.
1: And they're I can't big believe ones. We're at
0: the
2: end of already.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can't believe we're at the end either. And I'm. Um, this is probably the most notes I've ever taken on any of the episodes so far. And a lot of them are just lots of exclamation points. So. <laughs> yeah, I saw the picture
3: you took on Twitter of you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> your note about Zuko and Iroh.
2: Yeah. yeah. I had so many feelings in this episode.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there are lots of feelings. There are lots of feelings. And so I don't want to preemptively kind of give away my thoughts on it. So why don't we just dig right in? Um, We're going to start with episode 18, which is called The Waterbending Master. The gang finally arrive at the North Pole. Finally. (laughs) (laughs) Aang and Katara find a waterbending master and Sokka finds a princess, but all their hopes are quickly dashed when the master is revealed to be a misogynist and the princess's hand has already been promised. Meanwhile, Zhao makes his move and hires pirates to assassinate Zuko. So that's kind of our quick and dirty rundown of this episode, but so much more happens in this episode than just that. But I figured rather than make a really elongated recap, we could just kind of start talking about it um, and get to it that way. Um, So does anybody want to start? Anybody have any burning thoughts before I begin?
3: I've got two quick things. Um, One, I've been working on this theory that I only noticed last time we did this, but... I'm pretty sure that every episode where water bending is the main plot line, the opening shot is on a body of water. I'm pretty oh, wow. sure they've been doing that all season, too. I'm not positive, but there's definitely a pattern there. Um, and also, the opening shot of this was a koala otter.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's really interesting. Now I want to go back and see. I know for the waterbending skull episode, that one started on water.
3: Yeah, it definitely did. Um,
0: and yeah, it, I, I haven't noticed particularly uh,
2: anything, but it, it makes sense that they would do that. Mm-hmm.
1: You
0: know. Yeah, that's pretty interesting.
2: Uh, well, before we go forward, now that we've met him, did you notice Paku is the waterbender in the opening sequence? No! That's his silhouette. Yeah.
0: Ah! Yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh You're right, I totally see it.
3: In fact, I think mm. now we know, or at least we know who all of them are. I don't think we've seen Kiyoshi, but isn't Kiyoshi the... Oh, no, it's a guy. Oh, you're right, it is it's, a guy. Yeah, he they're,
0: they're all men,
2: I think, yeah. No, no, the Firebender's a girl. Oh, really? And we know who it is, but
0: we'll get there. Oh, right. Well, uh, okay, okay. <laughs> we have a lot to get through today. Um, no, I had not noticed that. That's really interesting. Very cool. Next time I watch. I'm assuming the title sequence doesn't change next it season. It does not change. No, it doesn't. Yeah. Um Okay, so There's a lot going on in this episode and I don't even know if I should address like it according to thematic things or plot things or just read well, let's just my talk ridiculous about feelings
2: notes first because okay. I feel like feelings <laughs> are the easiest thing for us to talk about.
0: So, of course, I spent pretty much the entire episode outraged, <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't, it didn't get better at the end, and it didn't get better in the subsequent two episodes either, so outrage is just going to stay with me from this point on. Lots of other things are going to come in, too. Um, so, they finally arrive at the North Pole, finally, finally arrive. And there's a couple things. So it's, like, it's beautiful. It's, like, this big, beautiful ice city with elaborate, um, like, dam systems to lower and raise the water levels. Right, the way in is a bunch um, of locks. Yeah, and fountains. and I mean, it's just completely beautiful. And especially if you think back to what Katara and Sokka's village was like in the opening episodes when they're in the southern... Water tribe that was so sparse and so you know, and and of course, you can assume that probably at one time they had something similar, but when the Fire Nation attacked them, it was all destroyed, and now it's just kind of that group of survivors left. Um, So, the splendor of it was really beautiful and awe inspiring. And so, they go and they're welcomed by, um, you know, their sister tribe, they get a really warm reception. And the water bending master um, seems like he's going to be a little bit, you know, no-nonsense and, you know, whatever. Aang is kind of like, oh, yeah, we can't wait to start training after we have some rest. And he's like, no, I'll see you tomorrow morning <laughs> at 6 a.m. Um, but it's not until Aang and Katara arrive for their lesson and the master... is it? What's his name again? Is it Paku? Yep. Paku, yeah. And when Paku says... Um, oh, I'm sorry, there's been some mistake. We don't. I, I don't teach girls how to waterbend. And it's not even just my own personal thing. This is just our culture. It's just not done. They go off, you know, girls with waterbending abilities, you know, focus on healing, and, you know, they have their own teacher for that, but that's as far as it goes. And, you know, that's just the way of it. And you kind of learn that the entire society... Is threaded through with this kind of misogyny. There's arranged marriages here. Um, You know, it's just—it's just not great. (laughs) And Katara, it's not great for women. Although Although, I wouldn't say
2: arranged marriages are necessarily inherently misogynistic.
0: Well, no, and I don't want to say that either. But both—we've only know of two. arranged marriages, and we don't know of any other marriages, although it's possible that there were marriages that were not arranged. We only know of two. Um, In the first case, the woman ran away rather than go through with it, and in the second case, um, you know, she would run away if she had that option, but she doesn't quite live that long, so... (laughs) Um, So, the particular portrayal of arranged marriages that we get are that they are not... um, not as great for women in that case. The men are kind of shown to be getting more advantages out of them than the women in this particular story, in these particular two arranged marriages that we get. Um, and Katara is rightfully furious that she's come all this way and he's not going to teach her. And I was furious too.
1: I love how... <laughs> so okay. She's like,
2: I didn't journey all the way here for you to say no. Right. And then he just goes... No. No.
3: (laughs) He's just like, nope. Nope. Yeah. I just love how full of, like, piss and vinegar she is. Like, not only is she Mm -hmm. not taking no for an answer, she steps up to a master and challenges Mm -hmm. him to a fight.
0: Yeah. Um, And, you know, and that's kind of what we saw of her. The first thing we ever saw of Katara in the entire series was her railing against her brother for that kind of treatment and saying you know you're sexist and you shouldn't treat me this way and this is unacceptable and you know kind of um, raging against that and so now here we are at the end of the series and we're kind of calling back to that a little bit and they do they they so Aang offers to teach Katara after Sokka suggests it he's like well why don't you just teach her yourself he said, Sokka the
2: Ever-Practical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that
0: seems like a really great idea, and they're all on board, and so they go to practice, and of course they get caught. And it's a really chilling moment when they, got, they get caught, too, because Katara's bending the water using this move that Aang just taught her, and then all of a sudden the water starts to move really fast, and Aang is like, whoa, that's really cool, and Katara's like, oh, I didn't do that. And up on a bridge above them is Paku and he lifts the water up, and then it he freezes it into like little ice daggers that fall all around his feet. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was really chilling and creepy. And of course he views them going behind his back as a huge sign of disrespect. Um, and then eventually Katara challenges him to a fight and holds her own considerably. Well, I was impressed with how well she did, and so was he. Frankly, um, and she's like, "But you're still not gonna teach me." He's like, "Nope, still not gonna teach you." <laughs> um, you know, so it's it's really the whole thing is really frustrating, and Katara is frustrating, is frustrated, and as a viewer, I was frustrated um, about it, and this is the first thing where. <laughs> I feel like there was some missed opportunities here. Part of one of the things that I'm going to consistently say throughout these three episodes is that there's a lot that I love, and there's a lot that's like all caps, exclamation points, oh my god, I can't believe this is happening stuff. But it feels very jam packed into these three episodes. And I really wish that we had maybe cut some of those meandering episodes in the mid-season that didn't really have a purpose and arrived here at the Northern um, Waterbending Tribe sooner so that we had more space to explore some of this stuff. So Katara briefly attends the healing um, you know, she sees the healing teacher where, who's teaching the girls with water bending abilities, you know, how to focus on healing. And that scene mostly exists to get Katara, Katara backstory on her grandmother is kind of why we have that scene. Um, and I wish they'd done more with that. I wish they'd done more with those girls who are learning healing and how they feel about it and what applications that has. Cause obviously we're about to, you know, head into a war in the next two episodes. (laughs) Um, I wish they'd spent some more time on that. And then at the end of the episode, Katara gets to learn waterbending. The master accepts her as a student, but she's the only one. He doesn't open his doors and let all the girls come learn waterbending. He makes an exception for her because of her grandmother and because she's proven that she's talented, But nothing within the society has really changed. She's just been given a special exception. And so that kind of sucked, too. But they don't... Because we never address it, because we never spend time with those girls or talk to them or or spend any time with them in the larger um, episode, we don't feel a need to wrap it up or to address it further because we never addressed it in the first place. But I feel like it's just left hanging there as this... Thing that they should have done something with. I think yeah, it's... Yeah, I mean...
1: Go ahead.
2: You go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I think they do, like, offhandedly mention, I think in later episodes, that, yeah, they're teaching girls now in the Northern Water
0: Tribe, mm-hmm.
2: but it just, you know, they're just yeah. like, let's move the story along. Katara gets to learn all of her waterbending, and we got to go.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and I understand why, but again, I think that's why I wish we'd gotten here a little bit sooner. So... <laughs> so that we could deal with some of the stuff. Because there's other things coming up in the next episodes, too, that we just kind of have to take at face value because the show has an agenda and it has to wrap up these plot points because this is the end of the season. And so we're given a lot of information that we just have to accept because this is the end of the story and we need to accept these things in order to move forward. And I wish that we'd gotten a more un- organic unfolding of some of those things. And I'll, I'll mention them when we get to them. Um, but yeah, really emotional. That was like my big overarching emotion of this, um, episode. Well, uh, I think a lot the, uh, in I my think notes. the
3: sexist stuff sticks out, especially because prior to now, you know, we saw Sokka being sexist and then just, apologizing flat like getting on his knees in front of Suki and saying you know I respect you as a warrior and a person and all this and we didn't get one of those scenes with Paku at all it was just uh Katara shows up late and he gives her a little attitude and then he's like but you're a part of the gang get in there Katara one of those
2: Paku doesn't have any growth whatsoever no it's true like a jerk from start to finish
0: yeah yeah, so that, you know, nah. I mean, I I'm not surprised necessarily. And I, I don't even dislike it. Like obviously I dislike it, but I think it was is an interesting story and I see why they did it. I just I just wish that they'd fleshed it out a little bit more. But there's so much other stuff going on in this episode, too, that um you know, it kind of makes sense as to why they kind of sped through all that stuff. So that's the main thing. That's kind of like the main plot is Katara can't waterbend and she's, you know, being denied this teaching. And then we have Sokka who has, it's Sokka's turn to have a romantic Entanglement. Everybody else has gotten their turn until now, really. Uh, I'm very like, interested in your... Well, inca- he had Suki. He had Suki. Right. Yeah. Um, but that was, you know, that, that... I mean, this is, like, explicit, like... Um, so, I'm of two minds. On the one hand, I love it because I love Sokka and I want him to be happy. And I actually think he comes off... Pretty well throughout this entire plot that's going to kind of carry out through yeah, I agree. Um, the next I agree. few seasons. You know, you really see the difference in Sokka in the way that he treats, um, is it you? U-A? UA.
2: UA, yeah. UA.
0: In the way that he treats her. Um, in, you know, you just, you, you really get to see his growth from the series from where he was when he started and where he is now. And I appreciate that. Um, she is a blank slate, pretty girl. Um, yeah. She's
2: just a cipher really. She's there yeah. to give some exposition and then be the kind of, yeah. you know, the linchpin on which the plot kind of hinges. So, yeah. yeah, and well, I, I mean,
0: mean, really no other no way that
2: could have ended, though.
0: <laughs> no, no, and I mean, we'll get to her stuff, because she, you know, is obviously going to be pivotal in these next few episodes, but here, this is just kind of where we're introduced to her. And she's pretty, and she thinks Sokka's funny, even though he's kind of a doof. Um, you know, and, and she's, you know, there's a little bit of this push and pull, where she seems to like him, but then she pushes him away. and Yeah, there's a lot of mixed signals out, between those two. Yeah, Um, but again, I really like the way that Sokka handles himself throughout all that. I feel like it would be really easy for him to go a different direction with it, and he clearly admits, you know, okay, now I'm really confused, (laughs) like, I don't know what's going on. Um, But he's happy. Yeah, he's happy, and he's really willing to, you know, at one point he says, you know, "I, I don't want anything from you, I... This is my understanding of the situation. It's fine and I just wanted to tell you that I think you're beautiful and I'm going to leave and I don't want to make it, you know, I don't want to make you uncomfortable and you know whatever. And, and all that was really great because you know, I feel like the way that that plot is usually handled is with the guy being like, "No, we we have to be together and I'll we, fight for you. Know, you we, and, I deserve
2: you because yeah, uh, I just like you." Actually, my note about that was I was like, that the whole scene on the bridge where Sokka Mm -hmm. is very much like, look, this is the way I feel. I understand that you don't feel the same way, and that's fine. I just want to tell you that I think you're beautiful. And my note was Sokka proving why Ron Weasley is a fuckboy, and he is not. (laughs) (laughs) Even though they are essentially the same archetype. They're the same archetype, but I hate Ron, and I love Sokka. Yeah.
0: He really, I mean, they're they're really was so many ways that this subplot could have gone horribly wrong and i think they did a really nice job with it i also think i mean most of the comedy comes from this subplot as well um do an activity is like my favorite thing perhaps we could do an activity at a place for some time
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's so
0: awkward it's so great though, and, and he's like walking, and she's on the boat, and he runs out of walkway and falls in, and he's like, "Worth it."
3: <laughs> Even at the dinner, like it's the same. It's the same joke about yeah. doing an activity, but meanwhile, Katara is just busting his balls the entire time. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's a really funny and lovely. I basically quote that entire, you know, anytime Sokka is speaking in this episode is essentially quoted in my notes.
2: Um, yeah, he's so great. And like I love that he gives her his carving and I oh, know Sokka's, a, Sokka's artistic ability. She's like, "Oh, it's a bear." And he's like, "Actually, it's supposed to be a fish. It has a fin." Right. <laughs>
0: it's just hole. Like, oh. And no matter what, it's just hideous. It's just <laughs> terrible. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, but yeah, I wish that UA was more of a person and less of a cipher. We don't really get anything about her personality at all, and that isn't going to change in the next few episodes, unfortunately. Or Um, after that. Well, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) no spoilers, guys. Well, she's dead. She's dead. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, true. Okay. Well, I don't Uh, think, I don't know if people come back or not. Okay, I'll put
2: this, put it out there. People do not come back from the dead in the show. There
0: are real
2: consequences to death. (laughs)
0: Okay, fair enough. Um, so, yeah. So those are kind of the two plots we have going on with our, our trio. And then there is the Zuko subplot. Um, and I have written in all caps. First I have in all caps, MUSIC NIGHT! Right, I, have I have that same two. thing. Like, yeah, you finally get to see it.
3: I have MUSIC NIGHT <laughs> and, and then, then next to that, on... no Zuko.
0: Yeah. <laughs> of course. And Zuko then doesn't come. Later on I have Zuko doesn't do music night cuz right. he says what is it? He says for the last time I'm not playing the suga ho- or the sugi horn. Yeah, the sugi horn. And I'm I not I just playing, playing it it.
2: the Iroh's like or stay in your room and sit in the dark.
0: That line, makes you
3: happy? That line made me laugh so hard cuz <laughs> I have been rewatching so Archer recently and there's a running joke. I don't know if you guys watch Archer, but there's a running joke in that I which is love, the exact yeah. same sentiment but it's just shorter. They're like, Mm -hmm. okay, then just pout. And that's all I kept saying for the rest of the day after I watched this. Okay, guys, just pout then.
0: It's really, um... Yeah. And so, basically, his plot is... Zhao comes aboard the ship and is commandeering all of the soldiers for his mission to retrieve the Avatar. He offers Iroh, um... A position, you know, is like, come with me and fight with us. The invitation's always open. He does not extend that invitation to Zuko. But while he's there talking to the two of them about his plans to commandeer all their men, he sees the broadswords on the wall and realizes that Zuko is the blue spirit. And Zuko tries really hard to, like, deflect that suspicion. But he does not do a very good job at all and Zhao hires the pirates that we previously saw in the waterbending scroll episode to assassinate Zuko and so the men have all left with Zhao and it's just Iroh and Iroh says you know sit in the dark if you want to and he leaves the ship so Zuko is the only one on board and the pirates sneak on board with um, fire Jelly, or Blasting Jelly. Yeah, I was like, right.
2: it's a callback to Jet, where they talked mm-hmm. about it in
3: the first, first there, place. There were a lot yeah. of callbacks all throughout these three episodes.
0: Yeah, yeah There were a lot of callbacks, yeah. yeah. So they sneak aboard with the Blasting Jelly, they blow up the ship, and we cut to Iroh, who sees the fire in the distance and runs and everything is aflame, and it looks as though there could have been no survivors, although, of course, we know that Zuko is going to survive.
2: Well, you saw him... I don't know if you saw it quickly enough, but you see him kind of bend the fire around him. Yeah. There's like this protective bubble around him. So you know he's going to survive. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it is very quick, you know. Yeah. That's what I
0: figured, because I was like, well, he's a firebender. I don't think I actually saw it, but I just assumed. I was like, well, he's a firebender, and this is fire, and he's a resourceful kid, and he's going to get out of this. (laughs) He's going to be okay. I will not waste my tears on Zuko at this point. I'll save them up for later. (laughs) Um, and so that is his plot. Mm. Um, and then I'm trying to remember, I'm looking at my notes because I'm trying to keep the episodes clearly delineated in my mind, you know, like, because they all are kind of one big story. Um, yeah.
2: These last three episodes, um, these are the three episodes on the DVDs, anyway, where the creators did a commentary track for. And mm-hmm. they do consider the last three episodes a trilogy. So they are kind of one long story.
0: Mm -hmm. So yeah, then the other things, oh, I should mention this. So um, my husband David watched these three episodes with me. Sometimes he watches with me, sometimes he doesn't. Mm -hmm. So he was there, he sat on the couch and he watched them with me. And he immediately figured out that Paku was Grand Grand's betrothed like, immediately, like, before that plot point had even come up, he's like, oh, Oh, (laughs) she was, you know, the one or whatever. And, of course, I hadn't figured it out yet, so... (laughs) I was just like, how did you know that? Um, Well, who else could it be, really? Right! Well, but also, I was kind of wondering about that, because we've spent this whole time, this entire series, with Katara being like, oh, it was my mother's necklace, it was my mother's necklace... And now we find out that it was Grand Grand's, and she gave it to her daughter, who gave it to Katara. But I would feel—I feel like that's something Katara would know, and it would be part of the way that she talks about the necklace. And so it seemed strange to me that all of a sudden, like I'd always thought of it as her mother's necklace, and now they were like, "Oh no, wait—it's actually her Grand Grand's necklace." And that was just strange to me. Like I had a hard time making that adjustment because at first. When we found out that it was, like, an engagement necklace, I was like, oh, this is the one that, you know, her mother wore when she got engaged to her father, and it's been passed down. And so, like, I just had this whole different understanding of what that was, and then when they revealed what it actually meant, it just was confusing to me. I don't know if anybody else had that, or if that was just me.
3: Well, we don't really know what the Southern Water Tribe customs regarding that stuff are. True. they don't really go into it, so, like, it could just be a keepsake to people in the South. It might not have anything to do with marriage.
0: But, like, even so, I was like, yeah, but it's her... Like, she just always associated with her mom, so I was just really... Well, I
2: guess, like, I mean, you you could have gone throughout the series and say, this is something that's been in my family. Yeah. But, I mean, I I didn't really think about it too hard. Yeah, me um, Mostly because, like her mom's dead and so this is something her mother owned so naturally her attaching her mom to this necklace makes sense even though obviously it was passed down in the family just right. it's it's my mom's because her mom is dead like mm-hmm. it's the one thing she has of her mom so yeah. I, that's kind of the way i thought about it like i didn't really think all that hard about the whole yeah i mean it belonged I, think to Jane, it, grand.
0: I think it makes sense i just i think it i was so i was set up to have different associations with it, and so when they revealed this aspect of it, I just felt like, oh, to me. Like, I can I can reconcile it all in my head and be like, okay, yes, like, reshuffle those cards and that's how that all fits together. But there was just this weird moment to me of like, wait, what are we doing? <laughs> like, what are we talking about right now? Um, so yeah, so that was interesting. Um, at first I thought that Katara's grand-grand left the marriage and, or not the marriage, but, you know, didn't want to go forward with the marriage and left her northern tribe because she was a bender and wouldn't be allowed to waterbend. That was, like, where I thought it was going to go, but then I was like, but then her grandmother just would have taught Katara how to waterbend and we wouldn't have this whole thing where Katara doesn't have anybody.
2: Yeah, the whole thing is that Katara is the only waterbender in this Yeah, so so I was like,
0: so that doesn't make sense. And so so I'm not I still don't really understand like why she left like I, I mean like I do because if you don't want to get married to a certain person because you don't love them and then that's fine and then you know it it just I felt like they were just giving me a lot of information that, that wasn't incongruous with what we already knew but wasn't like the next logical step mm-hmm. and so I spent a lot of this episode trying to work all that stuff out it was a little it was a little weird for me and i and like and the thing too is, I don't know if we're ever gonna come back to that, like are we ever gonna find out more about Grand Grand and why she left, and I don't know, so I have to treat this as though this is all we're gonna get um
2: about grand grand well, we do find out what happens to Paku, obviously um at the end of the episode, he goes south, he travels, mm-hmm. he leaves the i mean this is a later episode, I think he says that, but. About Grand Grand, I think they mention her later, but it's not an important thing. They never delve into it, you know.
0: Yeah, which is fine, again, but I'm just, you know, because I don't know what's going to matter and what's not going to matter, I'm treating everything as though it's significant, (laughs) which is always just going to get you in trouble because there's no way that everything can be significant because I've watched Lost, and (laughs) I know that that's just not true. Um, So... I think that is kind of my general overview. Obviously, I love the Music Night stuff. I love Sokka, even if I'm not like totally on board with the relationship. I'm not not on board with it. Like I want it because Sokka wants it, and I want him to be happy, but I don't really care about Yue one way or another. I'm glad that Katara gets to waterbend, but of course, as I mentioned, I'm kind of pissed that she's the exception rather than the ushering in of a new mindset toward girls. I don't know. that I felt like this was a lot of potential that we didn't pick up, and I feel like if we had started it a little bit sooner, if they'd arrived up north sooner, we would have had more time to kind of deal with some of this stuff. But I liked it. I liked the episode a lot. That's just kind of my overview. It felt a lot like Bato of the Water Tribe to me in that way, where I was like, there's lots of really great stuff here, but it's also kind of a mess.
2: Bato of the Water Tribe is just genuinely infuriating to me because of the character assassination. I sense all over the place in that one.
0: This one we don't have that here. No, we we don't don't have have that here. So, I don't know. Anything else you guys want to say? Any voice acting? Any other tidbits specific to this episode before we get into the meat of it? I just looked down at my notes and I said I have two really weird notes here. The first one is. Um, I noticed that their gloves have index fingers. Like, their oh, mittens yeah. Yeah. have, like, the finger.
2: <laughs> they mention this in the commentary track, I might add. Um, the They they have mitten gloves.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So this comes from Brian Konitzko, one of the co- co-creators. Um, he was snowboarding up in Whistler. And snowboarders often have these mitten gloves because mittens keep your hands warm because the warmth keeps all, you know... But you need dexterity in order to undo things, so that's why those exist, and they're real gloves, like, if you are in the snow a lot, you see a lot of, like, you know, people who snowboard or ski, or usually snowboarders, because they need more dexterity, but that, that's why they're split like that.
0: (laughs) That's really cool, I noticed it, I don't know if they, because we haven't seen them in their cold weather gear in so long, um, so I don't, I don't remember if they had it in the first, they do. they Or not? They did. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed that this time, and I thought that was really cool. And I also noticed that um, Aang does not layer up at all.
2: No, he <laughs> doesn't feel the cold. Right. He
0: just hangs out in his little. And I was wondering, I was like, is that like an Airbender thing? Does he like push the cold air away and like gather the warm air toward him, or? Is I mean, he, he might.
3: Just... Air is an amazing insulator, so it makes sense that, like, he'd yeah, be okay.
2: He yeah, I mean, the, the whole series, though, you've noticed, he doesn't have mm-hmm. a sleeping bag, he doesn't ever wear a jacket, he doesn't, you know, the whole series, and then we finally get somewhere where it's, like, snowy all the time, and then you're like,
0: oh, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah.
2: much more noticeable now.
0: <laughs> yeah, I thought that was really funny. Um,
3: um I just want to really talk noticed. about the fight scene between uh, Paku and Katara a little bit, because it was gorgeous. Yeah. Really exciting. Um. They showed us a shitload of new water vending stuff we haven't really seen much of. Um, They were throwing, like, ice disc saws at each other that were reflective enough for a slow-motion, you know, shot.
0: Yeah, yeah, Katara uh, gets in the fountain, and she, like, pulls up the ice and, like, slices off the discs of it. That was really
3: cool. Yeah, it's like she's throwing, like, circular saws of ice at him, and then there's, you know... He turns a bunch of ice into snow. There are pillars and ramps and all kinds of slides, and eventually, spheres show up again. Um, This Mm -hmm. is all really cool stuff that was, I thought, beautifully animated.
2: Yeah, the comment, the uh, creator said that they wanted to give you the sense that um, Paku is very kind of elegant and trained, and so all of his movements are much more fluid. Um they kind of smooth transitions from one move to another and they wanted Katara to seem like a street fighter. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody who's gotten all the moves on the street because she's used them, she knows you know, so she's kinda of scrappy and a little bit inelegant. But they wanted to get the sense that in addition to all that raw power that she has, she's also incredibly resourceful and can improvise pretty well. And that was that's what I liked about that fight scene. Mm-hmm. They they also said like all of their fight scenes they wanted to show an aspect of their character. Mm-hmm. So that does show you exactly what Katara is like. She's stubborn. She's determined. She's smart. And she thinks kind of outside the box. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really
0: liked it.
3: Yeah, the part yeah, where she froze her that. feet to the ground, I thought, was like especially special That's what I was going to
0: say, too. That's what I was going to say, too. I noticed that, and I was like, that's such a Katara thing to do. And she's like, you can't knock me down.
2: What I loved is that when she's yelling out, she's, like, calling Paku out, calling him sexist, and all the ice is cracking around her. You notice when she called Sokka sexist in the very first episode, the same thing happens. Like, all yeah. the ice just around her just cracks. Mm-hmm. Like, she's so mad. And it's just affecting everything around her. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought that was a nice callback, actually, to that kind of first episode where right, she's yelling yeah. at her brother about it, and then she, now she's yelling at a waterbender master about it.
3: So. Yeah, the first The first, like, two or three episodes, like, there's a lot of stuff, like, linear, you know, theme stuff, uh, going back in these three, the final three of the season. Um, oh, you know what, those are notes for another episode. I'll put a pin
0: in that for now. (laughs) I know, it's so hard, because they all run into each other. Yeah,
2: well, yeah, because they do feel like one long episode. I do have some tidbits, like, some, some stuff that I got learned from the commentary track, so... The song Iroh is singing at the very... Be- in music night. Right. Winter, um, spring,
3: summer, and fall.
2: Yep. That becomes the love theme for Sokka and Yue.
3: Oh, so you're that, right. That
2: it does. that you
0: hear. Oh.
2: Um, other funny things that I thought... Um, Brian Konitzko, who is one of the co-creators, is the voice of the pirate that bites the gold.
1: <laughs> really?
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's his voice acting... Um, And they were just sort of kind of talking back and forth and they're, they're talking about Jason Isaacs, you know, he voices Zhao, and Michael DiMartino was just like, when they were talking about casting that character, they're like, you know, somebody like Jason Isaacs. Why can't we get, can we get someone like Jason Isaacs? And then they're like, why don't we just get Jason Isaacs? (laughs) And then they got Jason Isaacs. I know, I'm bummed that he's
3: not going to be on the show anymore because he was a great villain.
2: He was a great right villain for sure. And one last tidbit that I found out from their commentary was the voice of Yugoda, the 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 healer, the yes. waterbender healer. Yes. She is the voice of Smurfette.
3: Yes, she Way is. Way
2: back in the day, she's the voice of Smurfette,
0: like from the TV show,
3: like from the yeah. car- the original cartoon show. She's the been Smurfette cartoon, since the beginning.
0: Yeah. Wow
3: yeah she's also i mean i don't know if you guys have ever seen invader zim but she's also the voice of the teacher on invader zim mrs bitters who may very well be a demon or something i'm not really sure that they ever cleared that up but she's creepy and awful on that show
0: i love that show it's a great show
3: me too um
0: i've never seen it
3: it is weird in a lot of wonderful ways
2: Yeah, I think you have to have a high threshold for weird. And I love weird, so as a result, I loved Invader Zim. If you don't have a high... If you don't have a... No, if you're not okay with weird, then you're just gonna be like...
3: (laughs) Why are they doing this to me?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. You'd be like, what?
3: (laughs) Um, Oh, uh, Paku, while he's teaching Aang, soup bends. Like, Aang is, like, struggling with (laughs) stuff, and Paku's just sitting in the foreground drinking soup with, like, water bending abilities. I thought that was great. Um, and yeah, that might be it for this episode. I guess I can skip ahead to just the, uh, the other voice actors. Um, UA was voiced by an actress named y- Johanna Brady, or Brady, I'm not sure how to say that, but uh, she was in 20 episodes of Video Game High School as Jenny Matrix, and more recently, she's on the TV show Quantico as Shelby Wyatt, Um, Oh, this one actually really surprised me. The village chief, uh, Chief Arnook is his name, is voiced by an actor named John Polito, And you can't really hear, even if you know who he is, you can't really hear his voice until you really, like, listen and listen, because he's doing it different than you've ever heard it. Um, If you guys have ever seen uh, Miller's Crossing or The Big Lebowski... In The Big Lebowski, he played the, uh, private investigator, Dufino, who was, like, trying to find Bunny Lebowski, um, and in Miller's Crossing, he was the gangster, like, the main guy who kept, like, screaming at people about giving him the hi-hat. He's, like, a short, like, uh, like, squat kind of guy with a thin mustache and a bald head. He plays a lot of, like, Italian gangster types, um, (laughs) and he beat a guy to death with a shovel at the end of that movie, (laughs) Um, oh, and just for fun, I wrote this down. Uh, in 19, Oh, he he played a newscaster in the 1984 horror classic, Chud, which I love because it's weird and gross. And last is uh, General Pak, who's played by Victor Brandt, who's been a few different roles on Metalocalypse. He narrated the live-action Cat in the Hat movie. And he goes back as far as two episodes of the original Star Trek series, so he's been at this a while.
1: mm Hmm.
3: Yeah, and cool. other than that, Lucille Bliss is the name of the lady who plays yeah, Yugoda. Yugoda. Yeah, to
2: Yeah, Lucille um, Bliss. That's her name.
3: Yeah, and oh, and she has, she has a credit on her thing that like worried me. Like I saw it and I was like, oh god, that really happened, didn't it? Um, there were five live-action Teddy Ruxpin specials from 1985 to 1982 or 1992. Sorry. And she, I think, voiced Teddy Ruxpin, and I looked at the pictures, and it is terrifying. Like, to think that they they gave that to kids, like, in the 80s, would be like, here, have fun with this. No. Yeah. No. Right? No,
2: no, no. Talk about nightmare fuel, which we'll get to nightmare fuel (laughs)
3: later. Ah! (laughs) Yeah.
2: Teddy Ruxpin is definitely nightmare fuel.
1: For
3: sure, yeah. (laughs) Um, I think other than that, that's just, uh, oh, I have, uh, Katara's necklace falls off a lot.
2: A lot.
0: I know. It's not the same I thing. I was like, it falls off a lot, man. You need to get that clasp fixed.
3: <laughs> and I um, also like that Katara was like, I'm not doing this for you to Aang or whoever. I think it was Aang who was trying to be like, Katara, back down. Don't do this for me. And she was like, I'm fighting him because he's a dick, not because of yeah. you.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't really have much else note wise to say. I think mine are mostly just kind of quotes. Like, Sokka's like, I'm not happy. Katara's just like, But you're never happy. <laughs> you're you're <right>. never happy. <laughs> I, just, I love that that sibling relationship. It's so it's so wonderfully done. And then, like, later when like when Katara challenges Paku to a duel, essentially, and he's like, I'm sure she didn't mean that. And Sokka's like, Yeah, I'm pretty sure she did. Right. <laughs> Um, yeah, those are kind of just little moments and it's really like, I think I can't remember because they're starting to blend together so much, but it's basically like I think it's this one where Zuko goes off on his own or is it the next one? I think it's the next, the next
0: one. one. On, on this, this one, one, we just hiding. the ship blows up and we and don't know. The ship blows up, yeah.
2: yeah. But basically it was just like, I have so many Zuko and Iroh feels.
0: I know. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. I know, Uh,
2: I know But yeah, that's more or less all my notes on on this
3: one Yeah, that's all I got too
0: Alright, should we go to the next episode? We should Okay Episode 19, The Siege of the North, Part 1 The Northern Water Tribe prepares to defend themselves against the Fire Nation attack But their icy walls are soon breached Princess Yue brings Aang to the most sacred part of the North Pole, and there, Aang meditates and crosses over to the spirit world in search of knowledge about the moon and ocean spirits. That same moon spirit is the one that Zhao is determined to destroy. Meanwhile, Zuko survived the assassination attempt and has infiltrated the Water Tribe on his own, desperate to reach Aang before Zhao does. So...
3: So this episode um, opens with um, them in class, I guess, is what you would call it. They're learning yeah. from Paku, and Katara is a prodigy, pretty much, whereas Aang is just kind of screwing around and making himself into a snowman.
2: I <laughs> yeah. love that about Aang, to be completely honest. Yeah, me too. That, it, call, it calls back to kind of his childlike nature, because... So mm-hmm. he came up with the air scooter, that is the actual invented move. He invented that move that got him his master's tattoos. <laughs> and then now, here he's learning water bending, and the thing he does is the first thing he does is create a move that's just like, hey, look, I can make myself a snowman.
0: <laughs> I loved that, and I thought that was super in character for Aang, and I thought it was great. I don't know if I'm gonna be the outlier here. But it doesn't make sense to me that Katara is a master or a prodigy. Really? But do, like, I, yeah, I don't get it. Mm-mm. Because I feel like we've been shown that she has... And, and so so this might go back to the persistent problem with these three episodes, which is pacing. There's a big pacing problem here. It's yeah. most noticeable, I think, in this episode. Um but, you know, all three kind of suffer from it. We don't know how much time has passed.
2: and you kind so, of do, actually.
0: <laughs> really? Yes. But,
2: unless you are really paying attention, um, so, in the previous episode, you see, they linger on the sh- a shot of the moon, and it shows you what phase of the moon it's in. Oh, damn! And then you realize, in the Siege of the North, Part 2, that it's a full moon. And in the Part that you see earlier, it's not. It's like about half, like less than half. So it's a couple of weeks. That's how long they've been there.
1: Oh. But
2: if you were not paying attention, or if you weren't thinking of that, then you wouldn't guess. You mean you just even if you didn't, you would just assume that time has passed.
0: Yeah, you I mean, you I don't
2: know how much time, but you just assume time, assume time has passed. Assume that time has passed.
0: Yeah, because this is not the next day or anything. Um. Okay. <laughs> Fair. I guess <laughs> I did not notice the phases of the moon uh when I was watching,
2: but yeah, sometimes this show's even a little bit too subtle for adults, so like yeah. you it
0: like uh <laughs> even even have even that said, I mean, so we know that to a certain extent, Katara is a talented waterbender because she's been able to teach herself a limited amount of things on her own with no other teachers, mm-hmm. and we've seen her improve drastically as time goes on and as she's been on this journey and I fully believe that Aang would spend his lessons goofing off and that Katara would spend her lessons diligently practicing and studying and absorbing as much knowledge as she can. All of that stuff makes sense to me but uh, nah, i'm gonna i'll leave it until later cuz it comes back around later so okay. <laughs> i'll leave the rest of it for the next episode to say that then but for now it just no matter how much time has passed i'm I, It's her acceleration um, was a little bit surprising even to me even though i think you know that she's great and wonderful and it's a pleasure to see her kicking all those guys asses over and over again um and just seeing the lineup of the dudes that she's taken down and you know does anybody oh, right. else want another chance? And they're Yeah, like, she no. like
3: kicked all of her classmates' asses with the exception of maybe Aang.
0: Yeah. And so that is delightful. Um, you know, so but we'll we'll put a pin in that. I have some thoughts about that later. Um I have a uh, I don't know where to start, guys. <laughs> I'm so All right, overwhelmed well, let's, with stuff.
3: Let's go in order uh, just to keep it simple. Like, after that scene, you see um, Sokka trying to show off for UA by seeing, you know, she's stressed about her royal duties, and he's like, Well, I know a flying bison. And of course, he gets late because he always I, gets hosed with something.
2: I made a note, I was like, so Appa is essentially the hot ride Sokka's using to yep. pick up chicks. Yep. And the way he says yep, Yep. Yep.
1: Right.
3: <laughs> I was
2: like He's so great. Yep. So
3: good. It was
0: like it
2: was and I so said Yep, Yip, Sokka. Yep. Real teenage boy. See
3: that was like the
0: little eyebrow. That like, was Sokka's oh, so fuckboy
3: moment right there. Was yip. <laughs> Yep.
0: No, no, I was into it. It was cute. (laughs) I loved it. I thought that was hilarious. (laughs) I mean,
2: like, it's funny because Sokka is kind of shown sort of throughout the series that he's kind of, you know, girls like him and they think he's cute and attractive. Um, And I totally get why. (laughs) I would totally have a crush on Sokka if I were, like, that Asian in that world. I'd be like, yeah, I I totally get it.
3: Um, that scene yeah. is interrupted, like, they're about to kiss, you know, obviously, because she mm-hmm. snuggles up because it's cold up there, and why not? Mm-hmm. Um, and then that, that gets interrupted because black snow starts to fall from the sky, and it turns out to be soot from the massive fleet of Fire Nation ships that are headed their way. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah,
0: this is a really great episode for Sokka. Yeah. Um, he really gets to put all of his strategic knowledge to use. You know, he's the one who identifies it as being soot in the snow. He says, I've seen this before. This is what happens when the Fire Nation attacks. Um, and we get lots of moments from him throughout this episode that are really great. It was a really great episode for him. So here's like the first of my major pacing things though. So we've got this, um, you know, this soot snow coming down and it's very urgent and everyone starts running inside, you know, and they they have to coordinate their defenses and they have to, you know, protect their people and all this stuff. So it becomes really chaotic and people are all running to get inside and UA chooses that moment to, to, <laughs> to be break like, up with
2: right. no, <laughs>
0: wait, and I'm just I like, know. why are you doing this Right now. Like, you can at least get in the wall and then have this conversation. Like, they just... She just stops. She's like, no, I have to tell you right now that I can never see you again. And I was just like, why is this happening right now? Like, this And like just... Sanka's like, uh... Like, now is not a good time. <laughs> it's just so ridiculous. I was, I was really... I was like, this is terrible. And we have to squeeze it in because we gotta squeeze all this other stuff in later but I was like this is really like they crammed this in there for no like mm -mm. like they could have ridden like they could have run in together and like found some place to hide and been hiding in some like intimate space and then her being like yeah I can't do this or something they could have done it in a better way but just to have her stop in the middle of everything and be like wait I have to break up with you before we go any further it was a little it was a little ridiculous yeah. yeah.
2: No, the whole Yue thing, well it's cute from Sokka's point of view, like from like when you're looking at the romance, like in relation to Sokka, it's very cute. Um and it furthers his character development, but Yue is just kind of there.
0: So here's my next thing then, which is probably jumping ahead a little bit, but we meet her fiance.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and uh, he's an
3: asshole. Han,
0: Han is his name, Han. Han. He's an asshole. And that feels supremely lazy to me. That he's just a dick. Because he's just, there's there's nothing redeeming about him. And later he's going to pop up on the Fire Navy ship and attack Zhao and they're just going to toss him overboard without even like <laughs> pausing their sentences. I loved that. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. I, I just wrote that was really Han convenient. is
3: useless because he's <laughs> much. totally useless.
0: But I feel like we make him an asshole so that we can have that joke and that's it. That's the only value that we get out of the character is that we get that we hate him. And so we get that joke and then that's a funny moment. And then we don't have to worry about him anymore. Um, but one it 's irrelevant because u a is going to kick the bucket pretty soon anyway, and so getting Han out of the way does not clear the path for asaka u a Sokka-UA romance and secondly, I just feel like that 's just so, it 's so easy to be like oh you 're in an arranged marriage with a dude who sucks." who's only marrying you to get more power and become closer to your father who runs the tribe, and he belittles everybody around him, and he's also an idiot and kind of incompetent. There's just, like, so many things about him that suck. And I feel like it would have been more interesting to make him, like, a nice guy who UA is just not into. But we don't do that. So that Sokka can be mad and we can toss him off a boat later. I don't know. It just felt really...
2: Yeah, I mean, Han is... I, I There's one line that I think Han... You know, it's when they're sharpening their weapons. And he's like, you don't understand the complexity of the politics of the Northern Water Tribe. And I was like, great, but you do, so can you tell us? Like, right. Can you tell us why you're engaged to Yue? Because the arranged marriage is you assume it's gotta be the chief who's arranged the marriage between his daughter and this dude, but we would like to know why. Like, do Mm -hmm. you come from a powerful family? Do you, like, what is the reason? What is the political reason? Because, like, on top of that, he doesn't seem to care for her all that much. He's just like, eh, whatever. So you're kind of like, so explain the reasons why this is important, but they never do. They just totally skip over that, which is kind of annoying, and... Um, and I I agree with you, it would have been a much more interesting thing to see that he's just, like, a plain upstanding dude, and he's fine, it's just that you just doesn't like him in that way,
0: Right.
2: that's, you know, that's something that could definitely be explored, but I guess it's a function, as you would said, of the pacing, there's not enough time, because they have to cram so much story in there, um, but yeah, I just, I was kind of like, you're just there, like... I mean, I loved that he just—he like shows up on the fire navy ship and he's like flips his hair back, right? (laughs) And and he's like posing, and then he like runs at him. They just boop, and he goes right off the edge. And I was like, that is kind of the greatest visual joke.
3: And they go right Um, back to their conversation, like nothing happened,
2: like barely pause. And I think Iroh kind of gives an obligatory like, "Is it okay?" Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Just like continue their conversation. Uh, But yeah, I agree with you, Kelly, that he's a wasted opportunity for sure. It's just,
0: yeah. And he was just such a, it's not even like he's an arrogant dick, but he's good at strategy or he's good at strategy, but he's a mousy wimp. Like there was, he was just like everything about him was terrible. Like he was just like a combination of so many flaws. Um, And also we never have a scene with him and Yue at all. I don't think they're never on screen together. We've Which never seen really their chemistry. Weird. Yeah, and I—I I don't expect it to be good, but like, you'd think that it would be important to show them interacting somehow. I don't know, if only so that we could see why UA prefers Sokka. Like, uh, just everything about it was weird. But again, we well, don't have time. I also think
2: too that if you had spent more time with UA and Han, it would make her decision at the very end much more affecting when you build up Yue as a character who, you know, is... And they have that whole conversation where, he, where, you know, she's like, I have a duty to my people. And Saka's like, well, you're not marrying them. and But she kind of is. She's the princess of the Water Tribe. Like, and if you would just had spent a little bit more time with Yue, and maybe just, like, Yue and Han, and then talking about the responsibility that they have right. to, like, lead the Water Tribe in the future, like, just, like, that much more would have actually made that whole ending... With Yue, much more powerful. Because she makes the ultimate sacrifice for her own people. So, it's kind of like...
1: Yeah.
0: And I also feel like... Yeah, I also... I mean, that happens in the next one, but... I also feel like that's information that we should have had, like... From the beginning, when we first introduce her. Instead, she's like the moon spirit saved my life when I was baby and now I have to die for it. So here I go. I'm off to die for the moon spirit. Like it just happens like all know, at once. No one big it and I was like, you, you should have yeah. told us that when we first meet her, Sokka and she could have had a conversation and she could have told him this and it could have been, you know, and so we'd like build up to it. But instead she's like, Oh, P.S. <laughs> here's my backstory. And here's this thing. I got to go do peace. Like, yeah, that was bungled. And we're getting to that. We're not there yet, but, uh, yeah. So, um, I have totally lost track of where we are, so I'm just going to say the next thing that jumps out at me, which is Zuko and mm. Iroh yeah. in this episode. I cried. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> so, we obviously, you know, we have them. So, Zuko has been, he survived the explosion, clearly. He's been stowed away on Zhao's ship dressed you know as a regular soldier and Iroh's is aware that he survived they're in it together and then Zuko is going to head off on his own and infiltrate the water tribe and he and Iroh have you know a conversation where Iroh is basically like you are like a son to me and when we also learn that Iroh used to have a son yes right that he must have died, which is, I'm of two minds of that. On the one hand, I think it's tragic, and I am sure we're going to get more information about Iroh and his past, um, and I look forward to that. And so on the one hand, that's like, it just breaks my heart even more. And on the other hand, I I almost wish that it wasn't there, that Iroh had never had a child and he just loved Zuko as his own anyway. But that's just kind of my own thing. I loved it no matter what. It was ridiculous, and they hug. Iro runs forward and, like, hugs him, and I Don't cry. forget to put your hood on. Don't forget to put your hood up! I was like, oh, <laughs> I have like, oh, man, so many feelings. I have
2: so many feelings. I know. It was ridiculous.
1: So
3: I don't know... So
2: sad.
3: I don't know if this is a spoiler or not, but when Zhao was, um, like, conferring with Iroh on the ship, and criticizing his loss at Bossing Sing Se...
2: I mentioned that too in my notes.
3: Yeah, I mean like they were both talking about Iroh's son in that conversation. Because he's kind of
0: Oh yeah, that's not obvious at that point uh, in the story.
3: Right. Well, he's kind of a big reason why there, Go ahead. Yeah.
2: yeah. I was gonna say the they mentioned it a couple of times throughout the series that Iroh was once this great general, he's the dragon of the West and he um but that he failed at Bossing Sei and we don't know exactly what the failure is but they have brought it up a couple times and you i think at this point you get the sense that that is tied up with the like he is clearly this great powerful bender and everything but like he's no longer in great standing with the fire nation and you sort of kind of sense that it must have something to do with the failure at bossing say um but you do find out more about it but it is also it is as we say it's not exactly a spoiler spoiler but that failure is tied up with his son um uh-huh. So, it, it's but yeah, yeah I, I mentioned that too. That during that conversation, I was like, I think is this like the second or third time that they mentioned this about what happened at Bossing So
3: right, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, we've definitely heard it before, and up until now, I've just always classified it as like a strictly military loss um, without knowing that there were more personal implications involved as well. Um, but yeah, that whole scene is heart-wrenching and wonderful. I mean, it's we have known it since the moment these characters were introduced, that they have a genuine love for one another. Iroh loves Zuko, and that has never been in question. We have always known it, even though it's never been stated explicitly. And here they state it explicitly, and even though we know it, and even though I'm sure Zuko knew it, it's something else to hear it said you know it's a really powerful thing and it was a wonderful scene and I'm so glad we got it
2: Um, (laughs) I think what's so powerful about it is you know Iroh loves Zuko but what you don't see because Zuko doesn't react in that way is him acknowledging that he knows Mm
1: -hmm.
3: what
2: he means to Iroh and that to me was really what made that scene so like oh god I feel it yeah he kind of
3: gave Iroh like a you don't have to say it you out loud, have to say kind it, of yeah. a thing. Like I, and I then
0: already Iro know, but through. yeah. Oh, guys. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, in that same scene where Iroh and Zhao are talking about his loss of bossing say we also get the reveal that um, the waterbenders get a lot of their mojo from the moon.
0: Which oh yeah. Oh that's is... another thing. I'll complain about that later
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay. I'm literally crying, you guys <laughs> just, just talking about this stupid thing I'm like crying here as we uh as we record super professional um yeah, the moon spirit thing and the the water tribe gets more power at night when the moon is out um, which I don't. I don't think we've heard that until now. Has that come up previously? No, No. this is the first time we hear about it. I feel like that's another thing that would have been really easy to plant a long time ago. (laughs) That we could have just tossed that out there as like a thing. And then now we'd finally come to it and it would pay off. But instead, they drop it now and then pay it off immediately. And so it's less...
2: Yeah, I, I agree. There, there has to have been a much less or much more elegant way of introducing this plot point earlier in the season. I mean, I suppose you could also explain it by, by Katara being the only waterbender of her tribe not knowing this. Like, you could sort of say it that way, like, she doesn't know, she wouldn't
0: know, but then I feel like Aang would know. Wouldn't he know? Aang would know, and Zuko would know, because we've seen him plenty do stuff, you know, at night and during the day. And so, you know, I just feel yeah. like. He
3: well, Zuko have done did seem to. Now. I mean, Zuko did seem to be keyed into it, because at some point he has that line like, You rise with the moon, I rise with the, the sun. I rise with the
2: sun, yeah. I really feel like Aang would have known, though. I feel like Aang should have told her. Because he knows so much about the other nations, you know, he's a hundred years older than the rest of them. So, and obviously, being an airbender and ha- being also being the Avatar, being in touch with the spiritual side of things, he would have known and he would have told her. As opposed to Zhao and Iroh having this like info dumpy conversation right before their attack, I was like, this is a, you could have done this so much smoother than than the way it is now. I mean, it's important and I and I like that aspect of that mythology. I think it's great. I think it ties into the whole idea of balance and nature and and the spirituality aspect of bending. All of that works really well. It's just its like, well, we could have had this a little earlier.
0: (laughs) I agree 100%. I like it. I think it makes sense. Um, It's just that it loses so much power when we don't know to expect it. When they just are like, ha-ha, this thing is happening, you know, it just it just loses so much of the momentum that it could have had, which, again, like I mentioned uh, with Yue and her backstory, like, it's the same thing there, you know, we are robbed of that momentum and that expectation and anticipation because they just throw the info dump at us and then immediately act on it without giving us time to process what that means or to figure out or speculate what might happen, So, yeah, they kind of cheat their audience a little bit there, and it's very possible that they didn't know, you know, that it's only when they were writing these episodes that they came up with that concept, and so they couldn't have put it in any sooner because they didn't know it was going to be a thing.
2: Well, according to the commentary, they've known (laughs) from the beginning that this was important.
0: Uh, well, that's just poor writing.
2: the last three episodes. Well, they're not credit, like, but they come up with a story. And then all of the episodes in the middle, they didn't have anything to do with. So, not anything. They pretty much, like, independent writers Other did writers. It. So sort of we're as a result, idea. you kind of get the creator-touching kind of the beginning, the ones in the middle with Avatar Roku, and then the very end episodes, and then kind of everything in the middle is, like, other writers doing it. So you get kind of this, like, disjointed, not quite so thoroughly planned out, but I think they were, in fact, flying by the seat of their pants at this point. You know, I think they only kind of had planned like, at a certain point in the middle of of this season, they got the okay for, like, another one. So I think they were constantly scrambling to get the story together. Although I will say I think the pacing in seasons two and three, because I think they got cleared for two more seasons, are much more snoo yeah, they so knew they how knew. to pace out the rest of the story much better. But this first season's kind of a hot mess. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like especially you know it's called water and ang's supposed to learn water bending and they only get there at the very end and it just yeah there's a lot that if I were if I were to do it i would change it from how it's been done um but that makes sense so i wanted to talk more about zuko too because after that scene with iroh he goes off on his own and he's a badass in these scenes which are almost entirely without dialogue i think at one point he tells the seal turtles to like yeah he
3: yells at the turtle (laughs)
0: seals
2: i (laughs) just love also too when he walks by just kind of like smacks him in the head and he's
0: like, yeah. <laughs> I'm an angry teenager. Um, but he, you know, he goes underwater and swims and holds That's his like breath my biggest for long periods by the of way. time. And it's like being trapped in
2: underwater right? and like unable to get out. I was like, oh, this is like the worst scene ever.
0: Well, it's horrifying, but then he uses the heat You know, from his hands, and he melts his way through the ice and everything. I mean, this was badass
3: stuff. He even uses his fire (laughs) breath that Iroh told him to use before.
0: That Iroh reminded him to do. Mm -hmm. It is, and he does wear the hood too. By the way, when that when the scene starts, (laughs) he's like among the the ice. He's got his (laughs) little hood on, which I loved. Um, But I was so impressed with him for this whole... I mean, I love him. This has been established. But <laughs> I loved seeing him do all these things, and it's so... And, and he's alone, and he's is... All these tasks require real endurance, and it was just crazy to me. And also, you see how he is this one lone person. He doesn't have the Fire Navy. He doesn't have the luxury of moving about um, in the open air, the way Zhao does, you know, everything that he's doing has to be stealthy. And yet he succeeds where Zhao doesn't in terms of he gets the avatar, um, which is a bad thing because we're talking about Aang being kidnapped. <laughs> so it's bad, but it's still also kind it of also, bad. I mean, It shows so <laughs> much about do it.
2: Zuko. And I think the reason a lot of people, I mean, I love Zuko too you know um i think the reason a lot of people love zuko is that the way he's characterized throughout the entire series is slow you know you see this and it's shown to us because zuko doesn't actually say a lot if you think about it like throughout iro do, does most of the talking um and so our way into zuko is through Iroh, because iro is the one who says a lot of things but zuko himself doesn't say a lot at all, except barring that one conversation, I think, at the very last episode where they're, like, in the cave and he's talking to Aang.
0: Right, it's all exposition. Yeah, that comes up
2: next. But even if it's exposition, it's, like, that one glimpse into Zuko, because he never doesn't, he doesn't speak. You know, he doesn't actually talk about his feelings all that much. He talks about what he needs to do and he talks about his honor, but, like, the way he actually feels about things, you don't get a lot of that. But I think that the whole sequence where he's sneaking into the the Water Tribe, I think, says so much about just how determined he is, that he's, you know, he's just like, I'm just going to do it. I don't, even if he doesn't have the resources, and even if he doesn't have, like, the, it, like, huge firebending power behind him, he's just like, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to single-mindedly, single-handedly get in there and get the Avatar. Um, but I think that's what's so great about Zuko, just, like, the way he's been characterized from the very beginning, the very first time you see him. He's very complex, and it's this is, like, the absolute pinnacle of this is showing and not telling us what he is.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the fight with him... Well, so we haven't talked about Aang at all, which I guess we should do. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, he is the title character.
0: So... Yeah. He is... So, the Water Tribe is under attack, and everyone, you know, is fighting back. We haven't talked about Sokka. We haven't talked about, like, anything, you guys. There's so I much know. There is a lot, oh, in, this. There is a lot in this to talk about in this. So, let's talk about Aang. So, um, Princess Yue brings him to the most sacred place of the North The Spirit North Pole, Oasis. Which... Mm-hmm. Which has grass and is lush and beautiful and complete contrast to the ice around them, Uh, and Aang says, you know, I can feel something special here, and they bring him there so that he can meditate, because he's hoping to cross into the spirit world and find useful information that can help them in the coming battle. So he does, and we see this weird monkey who's essentially Rafiki from The Lion King, (laughs) Just kind of, like, dropped in there for a little while for no good reason. And then (laughs) um, Aang sees Avatar Roku, and they speak. And uh, Roku tells him that he needs to speak to Ko, the face stealer. Not only in order to get his information. Not only did
3: Kelly freak out about it on Twitter, but I woke up to, like, several instant messages <laughs> from her being like, you did not tell me! You,
2: I got all these text messages, you didn't
0: warn me about this! Right. Like, yeah, I know. <laughs> so, we haven't even seen this monstrosity yet. <laughs> and his his name is The Face Stealer. And already I want to kill myself. (laughs) Because then... Roku goes on to explain that the face stealer will steal your face if you show even the slightest bit of expression or emotion. And I would be... So dead (laughs) If I would have a shiny new Kelly face face this monster. (laughs) I mean, JJ and I were roommates. Mike and I have known each other for years. You guys know I have no poker face. Like I do not have the ability to mask my emotions or to not allow every fleeting thought. ...to manifest itself on my face. I just don't. It gets me in trouble all the time. Everybody knows when I'm pissed. Everybody knows when I'm annoyed. Everyone knows when I'm... Like, it's just... I I can't... I, I would be so dead. And we haven't even seen this thing yet. And already it is the stuff of my <laughs>
1: nightmares.
0: And so then... Aang actually goes in search of this nightmare... And it's like, it's like a gigantic scorpion with a million faces that it has stolen from people and animals and God only knows what else. And the way that it changes its face is it, like, winks? Yeah. And a new face appears? Yeah, it's like whole
3: head blinks. But it
0: also... Yeah, it's like an eye, yeah. It also, it's like an eye, but it's also like an evil Volvo. <laughs> it's also like, there's just, there's so much <laughs> wrong with it. <clears throat> on like a deeply disturbing level. Oh. And it just like, it keeps winking and changing its face and like skittering everywhere. And like, Aang has to be really composed at all times. And the thing is screaming at him and like trying to you know get some kind of a reaction which at one point it does but he ko isn't looking at ang when he has the reaction and ko like whips around and ang like immediately schools his face into impassivity i would be so dead and now i can never sleep <laughs> again because this thing is gonna come steal my face and so so when Aang is on his way to go, you guys think it's funny. It is not funny. I'm not <laughs> laughing. This is not this is not amusing. Not that I just... disagree with you because Co <laughs> is fucking terrifying for sure. Right. It's just that
3: we already went through all this like years yeah,
2: ago. We we've had this yeah, when we first you can't see it, but Kelly just flipped us the bird.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've we've had some time to get Used to the fact that Ko exists. No, 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 no. Um, but no, he, no, no, it's no. awful. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not going to deny the fact that co is, like, awful. Like, well, like I said, when we talked about Nightmare Fuel, he really is. He's just. And everything, everything, everything about him is awful. His animation, even the way he speaks is awful. His. The, yeah. Whatever parts he's made of, you know, like, kind of like the front part's like a skittering scorpion, but, like, the back's like an inchworm, and, like, He's got that like winking mouth, bulge eye thing in the front, and then like it's just like it, it's gross and it's awful and just like viscerally stomach turning in a way that, I mean kudos to the character designer because that is seriously terrifying, but like I was just like ugh. ugh.
3: And before Aang even so went we're, we're into Aang. the before Ang even went into the tree, there was a monkey outside with no, no face. face. Oh. And that was pretty upsetting on its own. I screamed.
0: I screamed out loud <laughs> while watching a television show. So I'm I'm sitting there. I'm on the couch. I'm with David, and he had watched these three episodes with me. And I'm I'm freaking out. Like we haven't even seen him yet. All that Roku has done is told us that his name is the Face Stealer and he steals faces. And I am losing my <laughs> mind before we even see him. And Ang is like walking up and like looking back. It's so predictable because he's like, oh, it's like a little monkey, and the monkey's facing you know backward. And then of course he turns around and he has no face and i screamed out loud and david was just like i was like this is the most horrifying thing like it is uniquely tailored to haunt me forever i can't i like i can't handle it it's so upsetting to me and they talk and we learn that the avatar in previous lives has spoken to this hideous monstrosity and that the co-stole the face of someone that the Avatar had loved in a different life which probably we're going to come back to later which means I'm going to have to see this thing
3: again (laughs) Uh, sorry that was a villain laugh
0: Uh, yeah no uh uh no no And so then Ko tells him that the spirit of the moon and the ocean are these fish that they saw previously in the little pool. And that's the information that we need, so now we can leave. And the panda bear comes back, and I realized while watching this episode that I'm pretty sure in our previous podcast I was pronouncing the panda spirit's name wrong the entire time, so sorry about that. (laughs) But anyway, the panda spirit takes him back, and he crosses over, and he realizes that he is... um, he can't find his way back to his body because Zuko has it, yeah. He's abducted it. him at that point. And that's kind of where the episode ends. Although I feel like there's still stuff in this episode that we haven't addressed. Uh,
3: <laughs> yeah, so there's uh, a few instances of callbacks throughout the episode. Um, at the beginning when Sokka is on his, you know, little date with Yue and Appa, um, when they come back, Aang kind of takes Appa out to the fleet and tries to screw the, you know, boats catapults up or whatever. And, um, mm-hmm. the first thing he does is deflect a fireball into an ice wall, which happens in the second episode of the show, I think. He does that exact mm. same thing. And then we <laughs> see a bunch of waterbenders freezing a Fire Nation ship, just like in the first episode. Or yeah, maybe you second. see
2: the ship in the iceberg, uh-huh. again. Right,
3: exactly, same thing. Um, oh, the fight with Zuko, um... Katara tries to keep Zuko from stealing Aang and in during that fight she shows this new water bending thing where she like weaves a bubble of water around him really quickly and like deliberately and that's basically the thing that Aang was stuck in when they found him in episode one.
2: Yeah, the frozen ball of water around Zuko. Right.
3: Yeah. And
2: the whole thing too where he, he heats it up and it glows from the inside. Right. And he bursts out of it is very much called back to that. Yeah, I I mean there are a couple of things yeah. that I I mentioned too because there is so much like we haven't even really touched on Sokka's subplot, which is him pretty no. much you know going toe to toe with Han the jerk face. Um, but showing, yeah, his he's showing his competency. His competency. He's, he points out that this is not what the Fire Nation uh, uniforms look like anymore, and he's like, what? Like they look like this a hundred years ago, and he's like eighty <laughs> five. Eighty five. <laughs> Proving Sokka right. Um, you know, and, and he he knows the name of the Admiral, he knows that it's Zhao, he knows that, you know, and I I he's proving that he's resourceful and that he's knowledgeable and that he's worth something, um compared to the jerk face Han, basically pretty hair Han is that kind of what I call him. Um so there's that whole storyline with Sokka that we kind of glossed over. Um and then the other thing that kind of like the whole thing where Aang says that he wasn't there when his people were destroyed, so he he's not going to abandon the water tribe. Kind of was like, ouch. Like, yikes. You know, he wasn't, and that's such yeah. a heavy weight, because he's 12. He's freaking 12. Right. And then he, like, goes out there and, like, single-handedly destroys 12 ships on his own. He's right. 12.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep, and then comes back, and he's like, it's not enough, I can't. Enough. Right. I can't defeat them all, i just one yeah. kid. Yeah, and he
2: literally has the weight of the world on his shoulders. Um, it just kind of broke my heart. I mean, I love Aang a lot, so... But, like, and it's also... I love the way he destroys the Fire Nation ship. Like, that whole sequence where he just... Again, that kind of playful, sprite-like nature of Aang. He just goes and he, like, just, you know, ties things together and every, nothing works right and... um like so, I, I like again that the fight scene that they've choreographed for Aang shows exactly what his character is like. So there's a lot of kind of interesting character stuff going on with Aang, but There's so much in this episode, and it is again overshadowed by the by the face dealer. Like I'll be completely <laughs> honest. Like I just was like, I oh god, it's awful. It is. It's a visceral horror. Um, you know, I don't react to horror all that much. I like being scared, but this is, like, a visceral, awful, dread, like, horror. It's, it's like, ugh. And the comments, like, the, the creators in the commentary are like, yeah, we just wanted to scare some kids. And I was like, you scared some adults, too, because <laughs> this is awful.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm not okay. I'll never be I don't okay know what again, the first face
3: Co showed up with is called, or what that style is, where it was, like, completely white kind skin of, and yeah. black lips. I've seen that other places, but that was easily the most upsetting face that he wore in that entire... For me, anyways. Well, um, it's also because
2: it's, it's, it's so feminine, but he right. has a masculine voice, and there's something about that combination that just, like, ugh. Like, it just yes. kind of skitters down your spine in a really upsetting way. You're just like, yes, it does. <laughs> okay.
3: um, oh, also, um, Han calls Sokka, Sokka. Soka. Which I didn't even think of. I think <laughs> I think we were off mic like last week or something when we were talking about the movie and how that's what they call him in the movie and I was like, yeah, Oh they god. Call him Soka. Is this where they got that from? They picked the asshole and just quoted him.
2: <sighs> I mean there's that running gag that, again showing what a you know, he, an incompetent boob he is that he's like, right. Let's go check out Admiral Joe.' And Sokka's like, wow, <laughs> But, yeah, the whole like Sokka thing, I made out of that too. I was like, oh, God, they say that in the movie with that shall not be named. <laughs> That's what they call him. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's so much stuff here, I think, because we kind of gloss over that fight scene with Suko and Katara and they're having that conversation and she's kind of proving how quick, like, she thinks very quickly on her feet, you know, she's got all these cool moves. Um, one other thing about the spirit world... So you guys talk about the monkey dude, um, which, like in Eastern cultures, mm-hmm. it's a very familiar image, iconography, of the monkey king. Um, and I think in Sanskrit his name is Hanuman, but as a kid I've always known him as Honogon. Um And he's clearly kind of an inspiration for Aang as a figure, because um, one of the kind of iconographies of the monkey king is that he's got an extendable staff, and he flies on oh. a cloud.
3: That's what they yes. based uh, Dragon Ball Z, or Dragon Ball, the original, off of.
2: The original Dragon
3: Ball. Uh, right. Goku.
2: No, Goku? Is it Goku? Yeah,
3: Goku. You're right.
2: Goku is based on the Monkey King. Um, so that's very common in, like, Eastern iconography, like, imagery that people would understand and pick up and who that monkey is. And the that Monkey King is also a trickster. Um, so that's kind of him there, was kind of like, oh, yeah, I remember. Like, that's kind of like the sort of, like, familiarity that I'm not sure necessarily every Western viewer is going to get. Um, other small tidbit, that monkey is voiced by Mark
3: Hamill. Is it? I didn't see that.
2: Really? He is. Yeah. Okay.
3: Um, I um, think that I Monkey I only know King... that because
2: of the commentary track.
3: <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, because I looked it up and I didn't see that on the list. Um, it might have just been under additional voices, but I'm pretty sure that Monkey King character showed up in the Beijing Olympics, like, during the ad campaign, I'm pretty sure I saw that thing all over the place.
2: Probably, yeah. Um, well, the the funny thing is, like, I only knew that Goku was supposed to be the Monkey King because I picked up a, a manga of Dragon Ball in Korean, and his name is listed as Honogon. And I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense now. <laughs> oh, but kind okay. of like a lot of those like Journey to the West things that you like the stories that you see in kind of Eastern cultures. That's that's where that iconography comes from
0: okay very cool i had no idea
2: um, so yeah i don't i mean i guess it all runs together so i'm like i can't remember what was in this episode and what was in the next one
0: right i know i know i feel like we have to move on only because it's been like so long already okay <laughs> Let, let's keep <laughs> going still a whole another episode okay. to go so let's keep going episode 20 the siege of the north part two as Zuko drags his unconscious body towards shelter in the real world, Aang speaks with Roku in the spirit world and then visits Ko the Face Stealer. Did we talk about this in the wrong Whatever. order? Probably.
2: Again, it all <laughs> runs together. I can't dr- remember what's in which. What I know, starts, it, so does. Like, uh... it does.
0: It does. Well, that's good, because we've already talked about all that stuff. (laughs) Armed with the knowledge he needs, Aang returns to the real world and is rescued by Sokka, Katara, Yue, and Appa, and Aang refuses to leave Zuko to his death. When Zhao slays the moon spirit, Aang enters the Avatar state and merges with the ocean spirit to seek revenge. Princess Yue has been connected to the moon spirit since birth, and she gives her life to restore the moon. Although Zuko tries to help him, Zhao is consumed by the ocean spirit, and with the exception of Iroh and Zuko, the Fire Nation Navy is destroyed, and the Northern Water Tribe is about to rebuild. Not just their own home, but their sister Southern Tribe as well. Fire Lord Ozai has had enough of his troublesome brother and son and sends his beloved daughter daughter, to hunt them down. Yes. I love Azula, so this is the first time...
2: We're introduced to Azula. Anyway. Right.
0: Right. We see her, and I actually don't think I mentioned it while we recorded the podcast, but I noticed in the baby Zuko flashback yep. episode, um, when he is fighting his father, we see a girl. They pay specific attention to a girl there sitting, you know, by his father's side or sitting in the audience. She's in, she's in, in the audience. Um, yeah,
2: she's the one who looks all gleeful about it, and then... Then there's Ira, yeah. so turns his
3: face away. So. Yeah, Ira's like, he turns away. Yeah. Azula is don't looking know on who... hungrily as this thing goes down. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and we don't know who she is then, but I, I mean, it's easy enough to guess. I, I assumed she was related in some way. I didn't know if she was a sister or a cousin or a what. Um, but now we get confirmation that Zuko has... A sister, and this is actually the scene um, JJ was talking about earlier. When Aang is unconscious in the cave, Zuko talks to him, or you know, just kind of to himself, really, about how he has this sister, and his father thinks that she's better, and that he has always had to fight for everything that he's ever had, and it's made him stronger. And he has, you know, this whole conversation, which is as JJ said, one of the few times that we ever have direct insight into Zuko that's coming from him and not from someone else. Um, and he can only do it because I know Aang that is kind of breaks
2: my heart that like, a, like this is like a really thing. Like he's burying his heart to someone and he only feels safe enough when he's pretty sure no one can hear it. Like that just broke me. I was sure. like, Oh God.
0: <laughs> I know. I know. It's so it's so devastating. And what
2: he says is like my um, father said. My sister was born lucky, but he said that I was lucky to be born.
0: Right? I was like, oh yeah. Oh, oh my oh. god. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna cry again. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, it was heart wrenching. Um, that whole scene, and you know, of course, the final image that we get is of that sister. Uh, which is pretty terrifying. And they don't name her, but uh, I guess her name is Is. Azula. Yes, and
2: she's the firebender we see in the opening sequence. Aha! So we have the three characters. We have three of the four, because I don't think we've met the the earthbender yet. But um, Water is Paku, uh, Earth is Unknown Dude, Fire is Azula, and Aang is Air. So those are kind of what we've... So far now we've seen a lot of the characters who are representative of the various of the various elements. But,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Cool. So, yeah, we've talked a lot about some of this stuff already. Um, we've talked about Yue and her sacrifice thing. So I don't... I mean, I feel like I've said pretty much everything that I need to say about that part of it. I don't know if you guys have anything... Otherwise, I think the big thing in this episode is so Zhao kills the moon spirit. I mean he captures it in a sack and um is kind of pontificating about his own greatness, you know, and it's like, they'll call me a legend. They'll call me invincible. Show the Moon Slayer. Um, Show
3: the Conqueror. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He's telling, yeah, he's like telling his own story there, his own, um, epic. And Iroh comes in and is like, whatever you do to that spirit, I will unleash on you. Tight. Right. was <laughs> so
2: great. Iroh is so great. <laughs>
0: Iroh's amazing! And it's a really interesting position that he gets put in here because of course um, Zhao releases the spirit and then once it's free in the water again, immediately blasts it with fire and kills it. Um, And Iroh stays with the group. He stays with our heroes and is mourning the loss of this moon spirit even though it's not you know he says this will affect all of us it's not just about the water tribe everything needs to be kept in balance and by destroying the moon spirit you have destroyed the balance that affects us all um and he stays with the group and basically says to Yue, you know you've been touched by the moon spirit you you could probably do something (laughs) about this if you wanted to, you know, but, but it's not, I don't want to make it sound like it, he has ulterior motives or it's, it's, it's very much, um, he's very much being like the leader or the father figure in that moment to this group of people. It's, it's not a malicious thing. Um, he's guiding them toward what needs to be done. Um, and it was great to see him with them. You
1: know?
0: Yeah, and how, like how, just all the animosity was just gone. It wasn't about that. This was bigger than their individual tribes or what their tribes, you know, are doing. And, um, you know, I just, I just love Iroh so much. <laughs> he's just yeah, so he's great. He's so wonderful.
2: And, and like he- they do mention earlier. I think he and Zhao have this conversation, and Zhao's because they were talking about the Moon Spirit when they were doing the first info dump about it. When Zhao mentions something offhand, like, I know you've traveled in the spirit world.
3: Right. He tells that
2: to Iroh. So Iroh has a a deep connection to kind of the spirituality of the world itself. Um, So I Mm -hmm. think in that regard, he's able to be kind of the spiritual guide or, like, just guide for these kids. Um, And I, I really, I mean, like, I think throughout the entire series, they've never really had any... Real negative conf- any negative encounters with Iroh. Um, it's mostly just been Zuko who's been after them, but I think Iroh himself, they've not really, except for the horrible Bato the Water Tribe episode where everyone is out of character, so I don't count that one. <laughs> no. Um, but aside from that, like Iroh, and, and it is nice to see that I think because you know Iroh's good, but it's like nice to see him officially on the good side of things. <laughs> he's so great. I love him. I love yeah,
3: him. Yeah, that conversation between yeah. um, Iroh and Zhao, where Zhao talks about he discovered a library where yes. you know he poured through scrolls and found out the the real names of the Earthbound, Moon, and uh, Ocean Spirits, and that's how he's got this thing going. And he gives that throwaway about Iroh having visited the spirit world. First off, that's how Iroh saw... Um,
2: Roku's Dragon.
3: It? Right, Roku's Dragon when Aang was riding him overhead and Iroh was a prisoner of the Earth soldiers or whatever. Um, also, I didn't remember that at all. Like, his. Uh, like, the, the throwaway about him having journeyed into the spirit world. That was news to me uh, watching this, even this time. Um, so I went online and looked it up, and there isn't much about that. Um, there's rumors. <laughs>
2: Yeah, they don't go into it at all in the series.
3: From what I found online, the rumor is that he somehow found a way into the spirit world in an attempt to go after his son, who had died. Yeah,
2: to contact his son.
3: Right, but that's...
0: Yeah, well, that would be the classic story. That's all they have,
3: though. I mean, like, there really isn't anything else. And I've been reading the comics, too, and they haven't mentioned anything in there, either.
2: Yeah. So... I mean, I, 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 I don't really need an answer to Iroh's spirituality. I mean, it just is. Part no, and part I'm okay with who that he is as a person. I've, surprisingly,
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, me, the person who needs answers to everything, I don't really need that. I'm okay um, yeah, with
2: it. I, and there's, there's so much about Iro that I think. Is so one like as a as an emotional anchor to this show. I think Iroh is definitely kind of the one. He's he is the moral center of this of this show because you have to have the kids who are learning and growing and changing and as they're going to fulfill their quest. But the anchor in the show is definitely Iroh. He's an anchor for Zuko, but by extension, he's sort of an anchor for everybody else. And really, he's an anchor for us as, as a viewer into the show. Um. I'm trying to think if there's anything else... Um, I didn't love the Koizilla end of the episode.
0: Well, so this is what I want to talk about. Right. Because, so, like, not only have we just been thrown all this moon and spirit stuff has just been thrown at us all of a sudden, and we've been thrown this whole day versus night stuff all of a sudden, like, all this information has just been dumped on us in the last few episodes. So... Aang, after the murder of the moon spirit, Aang submerges himself in the water and then arises as, like, a, like a Godzilla water monster, basically. Is like yeah, what I it called it Quazilla. Like. And then he goes... Yeah, and then he goes through and, you know, um, eradicates, he destroys, washes away um, all of the Fire Nation soldiers both their ships and the ones who are on, um, the ice infiltrating the water tribe. He just washes them all away. The water tribe members, when they see the Koizilla, they, you know, kneel, um, and bow to him, and it, it, my interpretation of it the first time that I watched it was that Aang had activated his avatar powers and was making this happen as the Avatar. Which I guess is only partly true, because I went online later and read some things, and it's partly him being the Avatar, but it's also partly him working in connection with the ocean spirit.
3: The remaining fish. And
0: the ocean spirit is the one... Right, and the ocean spirit is the one that the water tribe is bowing to, and that's why it looks like a giant koi. and I... I watched it twice. I didn't... Is the fish in that sphere with Aang? Or is it just Aang in that center? Because in the center of the water, koi, fish, Godzilla thing, is like a sphere with Aang at the center. And I didn't see the fish in there.
2: The the explanation is that the koi forms of these two spirits, the moon and the ocean spirit, they're the mortal bodies of the spirit. So you imagine if they shed the mortal body... That is probably what the ocean spirit looks like.
0: Right. It was really unclear to me. Because at first, so at first... So he's going through and he's doing all this stuff. And I was like, whoa. And then we get to the scene where... Um, where Zhao is taken up by a fist of water. You know, by this water koizilla. And Zuko extends his hand and tries to help Zhao. And Zhao pulls his hand back and doesn't accept Zuko's help and then is washed away. And my first note, the first time I watched it, was, so Aang straight up murdering the
1: dude. (laughs) I had that too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That, like, like, granted, Zhao is evil. No exception. Um, but it, it was, like, that was just straight up, like, just killing the dude who was not in that moment doing anything. But, when I watched it again... Aang gets dropped off by the yes. spirit before that so it's happens. So the ocean
2: spirit taking right. revenge.
0: Right. So, yeah. So that, it wasn't actually Aang in control at that point in time. But we don't really know how much Aang is in control at any point in time. Like, I just don't understand the relationship between them. Like, I, 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 I- couldn't figure I out. I tend
2: to look at the the way the Avatar... I mean, I didn't question it that it was the Koi spirit that he was... the ocean spirit that he was merged with. Like, the first time I saw this I was like, yeah. I didn't like it. To me it was like ocean spirit ex machina. Like, just boom. Like, just shows up yeah. and like, you know, fixes everything. And I was right. like, well, oh, they didn't really do anything to, to chase... they didn't earn this. This is kind of why I didn't like the ending very much. But yeah. as far as the actual... Aang going into the avatar state and merging with the ocean spirit, like that actually made complete sense to me. Because Aang, yes. Really? And I don't know if it's just because I take it for granted that Aang is the bridge between the spirit world and the mortal world. So he's not the one controlling the the ocean spirit. The ocean spirit is using him.
0: So, like, he is the energy center, that the Is drawing ocean on the avatars
2: of, you know, the, the ocean spirit is using the avatar to wreak its revenge. Because notice, too, that when Yue becomes the moon, which we've already discussed, that it's the Koi it's the spirit that looks up at the... As it's seeing that its other half has been returned and everything is back to normal, that's when, he, that's when the ocean spirit puts Aang back, and that's when the ocean spirit kills Zhao. So to me, it made complete sense. Like, I didn't think about that that hard. And they mentioned that several times throughout the show, that Aang is the bridge between the mortal realm and the spiritual realm. So Aang is not in control. And that's the whole point, I think, too, of Eastern philosophy that people don't necessarily grasp, but that you are not in control. You know, you make your own choices, but the the spirits that move you are going to move you and use you the way they need to use you. And so for me, that didn't surprise me or confuse me. I just felt like the ending wasn't earned. It was just like, hey, I'm an ocean monster, and I'm going to destroy everything now. And I was like, oh.
0: (laughs) I, I agree wholeheartedly that it was complete deus ex machina, and I disliked that part of it. I guess I was struggling to understand... It was very clear to me that Aang was the bridge between the real world and the spirit world. That I understood. And then I have tried to think back to previous times when we have seen a spirit and, you know, mostly it's just that episode with the forest spirit, the panda. And we've never seen an instance where, like, a spirit has a mortal body before, and so I I just felt like... um, like, I, I didn't know what the rules were, and I was spending a lot of time trying to figure out what the rules were. I'm not opposed to the rules as you've explained them. That works for me. That's fine. Um, but until you explained that, I just felt like I have no idea what yeah, going
2: on. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just, it <laughs> felt really natural to me. Like, I didn't question it. It was, it's a common thing that you see in a lot of Asian dramas. Not dramas, but still, but like cartoons, anime, Literature, Asian fantasy has that particular way of kind of that relationship between the spiritual and, and the physical. So like it didn't like I didn't think about it like the whole mortal forms of the spirits, you know, that the, the, the koi fish, like the whole spirit oasis is I'm assuming and I didn't think about it. But it, it's just what I'm assuming is a place where the spirit world leaks into the physical world. And that's why it's warm, that's Mm. why it's, you know, magical, and and Aang is able to do this and that, so... That's kind of just, like, I didn't question that part of it, but I just was like, this doesn't feel earned. (laughs) This is not earned at all.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I feel like...
0: Yeah, no, the end is...
3: The justification was, like, thin, but they did try to, like, I guess frame it in a way that would explain it. I mean, even down to, like, little details like... Um, uh, the first time we saw this was right before Aang is about to go into the tree thing that Ko, the face stealer, lives inside of, um, mm-hmm. where he repeats to himself the words that, um, uh, Roku told him about, you know, no fear, no expression. And you hear Aang's voice and Roku's voice and maybe, maybe and someone Roku's else's voice, voice stack up. Um, and it, yeah, the same and when thing he goes happens. Yeah, the
2: Avatar state.
3: Right, exactly. You hear
2: all the voices of his past lives kind of come together.
3: So So. I I don't see it so much as, I mean, like, it is kind of a deus ex machina kind of thing, but, like, it's also not just him holding down the Avatar end of this thing. Like, he's summoning several other people's voices, you know, along with his, and then combining with the ocean spirit. So they didn't do a great job of explaining any Mm -hmm. of that, but it's all there.
2: Yeah. And the concept of the avatar is it's the spirit of the world, essentially. So again, that's something that I didn't think about. It's just, yeah, it makes sense. It's the spirit of the world. That's, you know what it is. And so all the different souls or lifetimes are kind of one, one spirit, like one, you know, they're all like, they may have had different lives, but they're like all part of the the spirit of the world kind of a thing. So I, I feel like Mm -hmm. the times, Aang, and you will see this later, you will see a little bit more explanation about the whole Avatar state, about whether or not Aang can actually go into it willingly or not. Because the both times he's gone in, or not both, I think it's been a couple of times he's been in the Avatar state, it's because he's been so there's some huge emotion that's brought him there, or in the case of the finale, it's the spirits themselves. You know, when he's watching the two koi fish circle each other, that's when he enters the spirit world and the kind of so, it's you know the the relationship between Aang and how what's the level of control he has entering this state is is actually something that they do explore later.
3: It's actually the next episode, I think.
2: Yeah, I think it's actually called the Avatar State. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, it's the first episode of season two.
2: So, yeah, those are pretty much it. I actually don't have that many notes on this episode in particular.
0: No, I don't either, actually. Um, um,
3: when the battle um, starts and it's like Fire Nation tanks versus Water Nation, like water cannons that are firing out of the wall, Paku does um, that kind of water tornado thing that Aang oh, yeah, yeah did at the very beginning in the uh, second episode. Uh, the first time we see him in the Avatar state. Um, yeah, I don't know if there were any other callbacks in this one.
2: I can't think of any, although I did did note my favorite line, and when Sokka is releasing Aang from being tied up, he says, hey, this is some quality rope. Right.
3: But and he'd already Aang cut like, all Sokka, of it. the
2: ever-practical, yet again.
3: <laughs> right. It's like, this
2: is great stuff. Like, <laughs> only you would think of that uh, he's my favorite
3: <laughs> oh and the I fight like between Sanka. Zuko and uh, Zhao before the water spirit like kills Zhao um, he reveals that he knows Zuko is the blue spirit and he's an enemy of the fire nation and let the avatar go um, And which is like obviously we suspected it up until that point but he you know <laughs> addressed it head on and Zuko didn't deny it mm-hmm. which I thought was great like that, that's like another little thing like, like you were saying that Zuko doesn't do a lot of talking but just that little bit of like he didn't even bother to deny it he wasn't even like well hum, you know hemming and hawing it was you left me no choice like
1: mm-hmm. my
3: entire honor depended on this one kid and you like stole him from me what was I gonna do? I don't know. also the mm-hmm. fight itself was gorgeous. I thought that watching Zuko kick the crap out of Zhao was wonderful.
2: Uh, it just shows you how great Zuko is, is the in terms of how he's been characterized. Because even despite all of that, when Ocean Spirit comes up and grabs Zhao, he's like, You know, let me help you. Right. You know, hold out your hand. Yeah. And Aww. Zuko, at his heart, is a good kid. And you—you I mean we've known that from the start. We've seen it from the start. But like, you know, he's a good kid. And then, of course, there's awful Zhao, who's like, nope. Right. <laughs> he, he he just he he has. I would, I rather, would rather die, die than, than accept, accept your help. help. I was like, you. Maybe you do deserve to die, Zhao. <laughs> You're <laughs> awful. Know. You're horrible. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, Zuko. I think, really, because as as we kind of do... Look at the season as a whole, if we want to talk about that. We look at the season as a whole. Obviously, it's very uneven, I think, in terms of pacing and some of the stuff. But I think what did catch me from the beginning all the way to the end were the characters. Like, I really did. I really... And I think this culminates in the last three episodes how much I cared about what happened to every single one of them all of them like you know Katara and Sokka and Aang and Zuko I just I cared about them and i think that's really the strength of the show like even if the plots kind of meh, or, or some of the world building is like meh, or just kind of pushed at you or dumped at you like at least like the through line the emotional through line is pretty clear and has always with except Otto of the water tribe. I'm just gonna harp on that. I actually think that's my least favorite episode in this entire show. Um, it, was yeah, awful. it was pretty uh, I, and like I forgot about it because usually when I rewatch this, I kind of focus on the plot stuff and then kind of like overlook the more you know ancillary stuff. And I forgot how like I just like this is awful like i I remember the Great Divide as being pointless but ultimately kind of forgettable. But, like, Bato the Water Tribe, like, seriously just made me mad. <laughs> like, everyone took, like, five steps backward in characterization, especially this late in the game, and you, all the progress you saw with Sokka has been completely wiped away. What the fuck is Aang doing? And, like, I was just like, ugh, oh, so bad. I was so mad. But aside from that, I think, from the start, that was what had always carried me through the show, was how much I cared about these kids.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the show has been consistently good at these emotional beats, that they really land these emotional moments with these characters. Um, so that's probably been my biggest takeaway as well.
2: About you, Mike, what would you say about the season as a
3: whole? Um, I mean, I guess I didn't really ever watch it critically, like we're doing now, um, but I did definitely noticed that, like, pacing-wise, you know, season one is the weakest, um, and they mm. just continue to get stronger from there from then on. Um, I don't know that I have anything, like, overarching, mm-hmm. like, this is the feeling I got at the beginning, and now at the end. But, um, I do have a few other little things.
1: Um,
3: oh, when... <laughs> I don't know why I really like this line, but I really did. Um, when... Katara and Zuko fight at the Spirit Oasis, and she wraps him up in that bubble. He calls her a peasant. (laughs) He's like, you peasant, you found a master to teach you. I love that. I don't know why. That that made me laugh really hard. clearly
2: the word that he wants to use is you bitch. Right. (laughs) But they can't say it. So you peasant. (laughs) It's like the worst insult you can throw at Katara.
3: Oh, and also the the Zhao um, talking about making history, Zhao the Invincible, Zhao the Conqueror, like, that is all, like, straight out of the dictator playbook. Like, you can find speeches of, like, Mussolini or Hitler or, like, everybody's given that speech exactly <laughs> of, like, we're going to make history, they're going to rewrite the history books, blah, 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 I'm so great, my name, my name, my name, you know? I just thought that was, like, a good, like, underline of Zhao's character.
0: Yeah, there's nothing redeemable about Zhao. He was just purely a villain. He's... Which is okay, because we have Iroh and Zuko, who are very uh, nuanced. Oh, and
3: after after Zhao kills the moon spirit, he flees in fear. Like, straight up... Like, Iroh jumps in, kicks the crap out of, like, six firebender soldiers, and Zhao f- flees. Like, the look on his face is terror. What have I done, maybe? What is Iroh gonna do, maybe? Like, a little of both? I don't know. But he just takes off, and that's when he runs into Zuko, like, on the way out.
2: Yeah, he's, he's a, as a villain, he's actually a pretty great villain in terms of right. a kid show, because he gives you... He's a foil for a lot of characters, but in particular, I think he's a foil for Zuko, because they both have the same aim mm-hmm. for the pretty much the same reason. They both want to get the Avatar to get in the Fire Lord's good graces, and it's the, but the difference between Zuko and Zhao is basically comes down to their philosophy about it. I think, you know, Zhao believes that the ends justify the means, and Zuko does not. Zuko does, in his own way, have a sense of honor about these things. Um, so as a villain, he's kind of satisfying. It's it's satisfying to see somebody unredeemable get his comeuppance in that way. And yes. they do set up, I think, the arc of the next season pretty nicely. You know, Katara has become a waterbending master. And Aang has to move on to wherever they're going next. And then there's Azula, who I love. And yeah. you get to see more of in the next season. Um, and obviously she's been charged by her father to obviously go after the Avatar and her brother, so. And she, I'll, I'll say, I'll, this is not a spoiler, she's fucking terrifying.
3: She is.
0: Oh yeah, I believe <laughs> She's it.
2: only 14, she's like the most terrifying 14 year old on the face of the planet.
0: <laughs> and
2: terrifying, 14 year olds are pretty terrifying all <laughs> yes, around. Yes, that's true. So. <laughs> she's a whole other level of scary though. <laughs>
0: So, yeah, I, oh, I think that's it for me. So, yeah, do you guys have any spoiler stuff? Um, oh, well,
3: real quick, I just want to rattle off a couple of voice actors. Oh, yeah. Um, I was actually a little disappointed. The voice of Ko really doesn't have that many um, credits to his name. The biggest one I could find is that he was on six episodes of The Wire as Dr. Randall Fle- Frazier. Um, the man's name is Eric Dellums. And I thought he knocked it out of the park as Ko. Like, he just he nailed that, you know.
2: Everything is awful about Ko, in right. his voice. <laughs>
3: um, uh, both of these episodes had all the same actors, so, you know, whatever. Uh, Mark Hamill obviously shows up as at the end as um, the Fire Lord. Um, I wrote down a few of his more fun credits that I forgot about or didn't know. He played Hanukkah Zombie in um, Futurama. He... he played uh, he was in Jane Silent Bob Strike Back as the villain Cockknocker who had a giant fist and punched people in the crotch and um, more recently I guess he was so uh, there's that new Flash TV show live action show Um, yeah there was there was one in the 90s where he starred as James Jesse or the Quickster and I guess he starred in the current one as the exact same role which is just kind of fun. Hmm. Um, And last, oh, right, so um, last is the guy who played Han. Um, His name is Ben Diskin. He's done a bunch of voices of Marvel cartoons, um, a few Spider-Man things. He played Peter Porker, the incredible Spider-Ham. He was in a bunch of Naruto stuff. He, uh, I didn't realize this was a thing, but he played the lead in a Problem Child animated series. If you guys remember the Problem Child movies, where there was a little red-headed kid. It was basically Dennis the Menace, wow. but as a ginger. Yeah, that was a thing. And this thing, um, he played, he, he does the voice of young Xehanort in all of the Kingdom Hearts games from the second one onward. This, oh. yeah, so this got me wondering, uh, this, this got me thinking about Kelly, actually, because a million years ago, she and I both discovered that we both loved those games, and we talked I about it a too. lot. I um, played them all. Cool.
0: Oh, Kingdom Hearts is that, the best. Those,
3: so,
2: those games in Final Fantasy VII are the only ones I've ever finished.
3: That's, I mean, honestly, as far as Square Enix stuff goes, that's kind of all you need. I mean, maybe Final Fantasy X, but that's debatable. But um, Kelly and I <laughs> both 10, played 10, the two? first Good. two. Uh, yeah, I've heard that also. I haven't played it. But um, after she and I, Kelly and I both played the first two... I went on to play a bunch of the spinoff ones, which aren't as good, but one of them, they introduce a new love interest for Sara, the main guy that you are, and Kelly was having none of it. And I was just <laughs> curious, like, Kelly was just so nonplussed, like, what that, who is this, this chick coming in to steal Kyrie's thunder? Um... I was wondering how...
0: No, I was not okay with it. I'm still not right. okay with it. I was
3: wondering how you felt about when they got to the the North Pole and Sokka was making googly eyes at UA. And before you knew that UA wasn't really a person so much as just, like, a plot point with a voice. Um, was there any of that for you? Because, like, I know you're a big fan of Suki. Like, she's your jam a or whatever. But did that happen, or did I make that up on my um, own? <laughs>
0: No, but at, now that you say it out loud I'm surprised that it didn't. It didn't because um UA was just so useless. Right. Like I knew it wasn't gonna happen. Well so yeah, I, it's because she's a plot point you can kind of like, it, mm,
2: whatever.
0: You know. Yeah. Yeah. Like if she was a person with more um like like just more of a person then I might have felt a little threatened. But at this point, I'm just really concerned that Suki is just never, ever going to come back. And that would be horrific. Um, And so right now, I guess I'm just conserving all my Suki energy for hoping that she (laughs) reemerges. and (laughs) Less about whether or not, um, you know, Sokka's going to remain true to her. Because although there was a romantic tinge to that relationship, my favorite thing about Suki was not... Soccer, Like, I loved her independently of whatever crush he may or may not have had. Um, I just love her. And so it wasn't, like, the ship that I was so attached to. It's not like in West Wing where they... It's not like in West Wing where there's CJ and Danny and then they bring in some other guy when Danny's not on for a couple seasons. And that I'm not having. That was not okay. And then eventually they brought Danny back as they should. (laughs) (laughs) But that guy got my wrath. Because it wasn't Danny as a character that I shipped; it was Danny and CJ, and it was like the relationship that was the important thing. Um, but Suki, I just love. On I her think own. it's such a
2: contrast too, because Suki, and she's only in one episode, but she's just fully formed. You know, like she's fully formed and has her personality, and but UA just never gets there. She doesn't have a single UA doesn't have a single defining characteristic. That test I told you about long time ago, I think we were talking about Star Wars back, why the prequels are so much worse than the original trilogy, is because if you took the characters, you actually can't describe any of the characters in the prequel trilogy without describing their profession, what they look like. Um, but you can, with the original trilogy, you can definitely say, you know, like, Han is charming and roguish, looks out for himself, Leia is no-nonsense, you know, like, you can describe these characters without resorting to that you can't Mm -hmm. actually describe yue as a person without resorting to what she looks like what her role is because she's the princess you know like there's nothing about yue that's a thing like a human being so
3: that being said (laughs) i did i did notice that or at least i thought at the time that uh the voice actress who plays her while she wasn't given a ton to do. I thought she did a nice job of sounding like regal and well, you know, like she had a, her head screwed on right and stuff. Um, you know, even just like laughing yeah, at Sokka's stupid jokes or whatever, you know, the let's do an activity thing. I was like, oh, she <laughs> delivered that well, I thought. But like plot-wise, they didn't give her much to do.
2: Yeah. yeah, I agree. I love whoever plays Sokka. His, so... voice, his voice actor is great. Yeah. I think he's the best voice... Well, him and Dante Bosca who plays Zuko, uh, those two are definitely the best on the show, I think. Jack
3: Decina is, I believe, the name of the guy who plays uh, Sokka. He's
2: great. He's great.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and if I'm not um, mistaken, he started out on All That, maybe? One of those, like, young old? people sketch shows. Yeah, Is he that old? I don't... I don't know. It might not be that one. It might be the... I, I should look it up before claiming that stuff, but... Um, okay,
2: because I was like, My I know God, that he Mike. had something
3: like that in this thing. Crazy. You know?
2: Do you have spoilers you want to discuss, Mike? I don't actually have all that many, or at all. Um, maybe, but if I've you
3: got do, a couple. Yeah, real quick ones. I think we can knock out real fast.
2: Okay. Bye, Kelly.
3: <laughs> Bye, Kelly. <laughs>
2: I just realized I don't think you can listen to any of the spoilers Until the show's over Not the season, but the actual show Yeah No, oh no, that was my plan Because I was like, there's actually a a lot of stuff That comes into play throughout the whole series Later on
0: That wraps up this week's installment of the Earth King Prairie Home Companion and the first season of Avatar The Last Airbender. Next time we will be moving to season two. We're going to be discussing the Avatar State and the Cave of Two Lovers. So be sure to tune in for newbie recaps, know-it-all nerdery, and general squeeing all around.
3: As always, you can subscribe to us via iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or your podcast provider of choice, or visit us at our website, earthkingdomradio.com.
2: And if you like us, please rate and review when you get a chance, as it helps other listeners
3: find the podcast.
0: You can follow me, Kelly, at bookishchick on Twitter or Instagram.
3: You can follow me, Mike, at robo underscore pants on Twitter.
2: And you can follow me, JJ, at SJJones, that's S-J-A-E-J-O-N-E-S, on Twitter or my website, sjjones.com.
0: Our theme music is Cattails by Kevin MacLeod, and our logo was designed and created by our very own JJ.
3: Thanks so much for listening. Bye.
0: Bye. Bye.